It has been a while, but this morning we are back in the book of Ephesians. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, or if you don't, you're welcome to use one of the Bibles in the Purex. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, our focus this morning is going to be verses 7 through 14. But for context, we're going to go back to verse 1. So I got to do a quick recap here because it's probably been about a month since we've been in Ephesians. Uh, We were working our way in the fall through this vision series from the book of Ephesians, and then we took a break for Advent, and then into the new year, we spent a couple weeks reflecting on Psalm 23. But the theme of Ephesians is this, that in the person of Jesus Christ, God is at work in the world to put all things back together. In other words, through Jesus, God is making all things new. And central to this process, central to this project of God in the world is the church. And what we have seen in Ephesians is that the church is God's family, his community made up of people who have diverse stories and backgrounds. And he uses us, his diverse family, to make Jesus visible in the world and to participate in that process of seeing all things made right. Now, about a month ago, we started into Ephesians 5, and we looked at verses 1 through 6 or or 7. And as we did that, as we got into the chapter, what I said was that we were going to take three weeks um, to reflect on themes that have to do with how we walk, because walking is a theme throughout Ephesians. It's um, a metaphor for the whole of life, how we live, our lifestyle. And we hear Paul in Ephesians um, refer to how we walk multiple times, and particularly in this chapter, we hear it three times, because he tells us to walk in love, to walk in the light, and to walk in wisdom. So about a month ago, we reflected on walk in love. This morning, we are going to reflect on what it means to walk in the light. Next week, we will reflect on what it means to walk in wisdom. But Anna Oganaki is going to come, and she's going to read our passage this morning, and then I'll pray, and then we will get into it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for how it invites us into life, how it invites us into the light. And we pray now that through your word, you would draw us more fully into the light. We pray that you would show us Jesus, and we pray that you would meet us by your spirit wherever we find ourselves, believing, disbelieving, unsure of what we believe. We look to you because you know us. We ask that you would change us as you apply the good news more deeply into the fabric of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So light and darkness, it's real. Light and darkness are real. You know that literally just from the rhythm of a day. Uh, It's light now, but as we know, hours from now, it'll be dark. We're familiar with light and darkness, literally in the rhythm of our day, but light and darkness are also real figuratively, spiritually, we might say. We know intuitively that there is both light and darkness out there in the world. I'm sure that from the past week, we could probably highlight examples of what we would say uh, was light flooding into the world. 
Uh, we also could highlight examples of how darkness crept into various aspects of life in this world. But as we said during the Advent season, uh, Advent season, we focused on the coming of Christ and waiting on Christ, and one of our, our themes was actually light and darkness. We said then, and we'll say it again this morning, that darkness is not just out there, it's in here. It's inside each and every one of us. Maybe you're familiar uh, with the Harry Potter series written by J.K. Rowling. Well, in that series, there's a character named Sirius. And at one point, the character Sirius says this, we've all got both light and darkness inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. Now, we're going to look at a similar truth from the perspective of the Bible, from the perspective specifically of Paul here in Ephesians 5. But light and darkness, this theme is a theme that is woven throughout the biblical story. It goes back to the very beginning when God separated the light um, from the darkness. And the conclusion of the biblical story is God descending, bringing heaven to earth to make all things new. And we're told that Jesus himself is the temple of the new creation and from him light emanates. Light shines and fills the world. So light and darkness are central, really, to understanding the biblical story. And throughout, and we hear it here from Paul, we are called to walk in the light, not in the darkness. So the question I have for us this morning, the question I want to pose and have Paul answer it for us is, how do we walk in the light? How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we walk in the light? And we're going to look at two things. First, by experiencing the light, and second, by exposing the darkness. So experience the light, expose the darkness. Let's talk first about experiencing the light. Verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has used this formula. Now, by formula, what I mean is, him saying something like, at one time you were this, but now you are this. He actually does it about three times, I think, in Ephesians chapter 2. And what Paul is doing when he uses such a formula is that he's highlighting that something has happened, right? Something has changed. These people to whom Paul is writing, the Ephesians, these followers of Jesus in Ephesus, something has happened to them. They have been transformed. Now, the thing that stood out to me all week as I studied this passage was this, that we might expect Paul to say something like, you were once in the darkness, you were once under darkness, and now you are in the light, or you're under the light. But notice, that's not what he says. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Kind of surprising. You see, what he's getting at here, what he wants these Ephesians to understand, what he wants us to understand, is that the change that they experienced was not just a change of their circumstances, it was a change of their identity. The transformation that they experienced happened at the very core of who they are. Their circumstances didn't simply change, they changed. They didn't simply go from being non-religious people to religious people who now do religious things. 
They are people who have been dramatically, drastically changed. Their identity was transformed. They have gone from darkness to light in terms of who they actually are at their core. Now notice that Paul doesn't say, you are now in the light and leave it there, or you now are light and leave it there. He adds something to it. What is it? What does he add? It's not just simply you are now light, but what does he add? In the Lord. You are now light in the Lord. This new identity that he's talking about, this change that took place is rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in the Lord. So this transformation is not something that we can bring about on our own. It's not something that we create. It's something that God in the person of Jesus does to us. It centers on what God has done in the person of Christ. God has made us light in Jesus. We now share in the light of God. Now, there's a context to this passage, and I'm thankful that Anna read the full context for us. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul calls us to be, called the Ephesians to be imitators of God. And so, that tees this section up. It tips us off that everything that Paul is about to talk about and write about is in the context of what it means, what it looks like to imitate God in life. And what we're doing with this chapter or this section is we're saying that it means that we walk in love, it means that we walk in the light, and it means that we walk in wisdom. And obviously, this morning, we're focusing on walking in the light. But the context is imitating God. And remember what I said, that because of what God has done for us in Christ, we now share in the light of God. The connection is now being made to how we're going to imitate God. But I want to point out just a couple verses for you from elsewhere in Scripture in the New Testament. 1 John 4, 8, John writes this, God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And he adds, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. And then Jesus, in the gospel of John, in his public ministry at one point said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is light. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And so this imitating of God, we're called to imitate God. We are called to be people of light, or as Paul says, children of light, because our Father in heaven himself is light. You could think about it this way as we consider the biblical story. God intended for us to share in his light from the very beginning. He intended for us to be glorious and whole. You know that longing, that ache that you have deep down inside of you for all things to be made right, for, for glory, for wholeness, for flourishing? That really is actually just simply a longing for light. When you encounter darkness in the world, whether it's through death or suffering or violence or whatever it might be, and you yearn for things to be different, you're yearning for the light to come flooding into the darkness, to dispel 
the darkness. God, the reason that you long and ache for that in the midst of darkness is because God made us for light. From the very beginning, he intended for us to share in his light. But we ran away from the God of life. We ran away from relationship with him choosing to try to figure out how to be God on our own terms. And as a result, darkness came flooding into the world, flooding into every area of life. And for us as people, we have become faint shadows of who God made us to be. But what Paul is highlighting for us here in these verses is that in Jesus, in the coming of Jesus, God makes a way for us to come back home to God, to share in his light. Again, in Jesus, God draws us back into the light as we have faith in what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus, remember, said, as he came in his public ministry, he said, I am the light of the world. He went to the cross to die in our place, to cover our our shame and our sin. And on the cross, he experienced darkness in a way that we can't comprehend all so that we might be drawn back into the light through faith in what he has done for us. And this is why Paul then calls these followers of Jesus children of light. Children of light. This this change, this transformation has happened at the very core of who they are. They have gone from being somebody to somebody different. They are now people who are referred to as the very children of God. And that's really what we want in life. We we could express it in a variety of ways, but when we're longing for acceptance, when we're longing for welcome, when we're longing for validation in life, deep down inside, I would suggest to you that we are longing ultimately for the very validation of God. But you see, the reason that we are separated from that validation, that validation from God, the reason that we are uncertain in terms of our relationship with God is because our sin, the darkness that fills us, has separated us from him. It has cut us off from his light. But God has made a way for us in Jesus. And we now go from those who have felt unwelcomed and are unwelcomed into the presence of God to those who are now welcomed and we can be called and think of ourselves as the very children of God. And so Paul, we see this all the time, don't we? We we saw it as we focused on the first six verses of this chapter. We've seen it as we've um, gone throughout this letter. Paul is beginning by reminding the Ephesians of who they are. Before he gets into, okay, here's what it looks like to expose the darkness. Here's how you're supposed to live. He wants to bring them back to here's who you are. And we we talk about this a lot, but why does Paul do this? Why does the Bible, we could even say, work like this? Well, I think it's because the biblical story is constantly wanting to highlight for us the gospel of grace, the good news of grace. Because I I think that without these constant reminders, our our tendency is this, that we, like in the context of this passage, for example, we are going to want to become people who expose the darkness all around us. We're going to want to do things for God. And what's going to creep in is this tendency, this desire to try to get God's validation, his welcome, to try to share in his light through what the deeds that we're doing. And that's not how it works. And it's freeing that that's not how it works. 
it actually works with what God has done, how he has acted for us in Christ to make us his children. And now, again, in the context of this passage, we expose the darkness as children of light, not trying to earn our way into God's light, not trying to earn his validation, but we do it because we already have it. They are light in the Lord. If your faith is in Christ this morning, you are light in the Lord. Not because of what you have done, not because of what you will do, but because of what God has done for you in Christ. So we begin, Paul begins with the need to experience the light. Now let's talk about um, what it looks like, what it means to expose the darkness. Paul, after referring to the Ephesians as children of light, and then he, we have this um, in parenthesis, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. We'll come back to that in a second. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So what is involved in walking as children of light? Exposing the unfruitful works of darkness is involved. And here, in these verses, Paul walks us through a process of how we expose the darkness around us. Go back to what we find in the parentheses there. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. When you hear Paul say this, good, right, and true, what he's really referring to is the way that things are meant to be. The way things the way that God created the world to be. In other words, we could draw from that word that we um, draw from from time to time, shalom, which means flourishing. It means wholeness. It, It means full glory. When Paul says good, right, and true, he's pulling us into shalom, God's original intentions for his creation. The fruit of light, he's saying, is found in these things. And notice what he says. He says, try to discern, basically, what is pleasing to the Lord. What what does he mean here? To try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, it literally means to examine, to test, to approve, to prove. It has to do with considering something and making a wise judgment about it. Find out what pleases God, Paul basically says, and do it. How how do we find out what is pleasing to God? How do we go through this process of examination and testing? Well, we do it by reflecting, meditating on what is good, right, and true. By reflecting on the way that God made things to be. We could say it this way. God's desire for us is to fill our imaginations with a shalom-saturated world. I know that's a mouthful. God's desire for us is to fill our imaginations with a shalom-saturated world. You see, if you're like me, and I, this is just, I, I do this more often than I would like to admit, I probably spend more time reflecting on the darkness than I do the light. And here's what I mean, that I'm confronted with darkness in my own life, darkness in the world around me, and I find myself reflecting on it, meditating on it, getting stuck on it. And where does that lead me? It leads me to cynicism, to despair, 
But Paul is presenting us with a different, um, a different path, a different approach to life. Not to deny the darkness, not to ignore it, but rather to focus on a shalom-saturated world. In Philippians 4.8, Paul writes this, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, reflect on these things. Meditate on these things. And in the very next verse, Paul talks about putting them into practice. How do we practice our faith? By meditating on what God calls us to to be and to do in the context of our faith. These are the things that list in Philippians 4.8. And this list here in Ephesians chapter 5, good, right, and true, these are the things that lead to flourishing. These are the things that lead to the life that God intends. Now remember again here the context. Be imitators of God. We talked about this about a month ago, but that word to imitate God, it means to be in the image of, to copy or, or to reflect Now think about it. God is light. God emanates light. And we are invited to draw into the light, to be transformed by it as we discussed, to to experience it. As God's children, we become the light of Christ in the world. Now here's where we begin to talk about our mission statement, about embodying God's story in the everyday stuff of life. Because We're going to talk a little bit more specifically about exactly what it means to expose the darkness in a moment, but but how do we shine the light into the darkness, just generally speaking? It's through the everyday stuff of life. And you're going to see in the remainder of this book, um, after especially after next week when we talk about what it means to walk in wisdom, Paul's going to talk about the practicalities of life. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about other relationships that we're going to have to make sense of in light of the good news of the gospel and the coming of God's kingdom. But but I want to encourage you with this, because sometimes when we think about what it means to shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of the world, we think too big picture. We think too abstractly. But what Paul's going to paint a picture for is doing this in the everyday stuff of life in what God has called you to do, in the mundane, or if it's something that excites you. It doesn't matter. But be imitators of God. And so this light that we're drawn into is not just a light to experience. It's a light for us to actually reflect to the world. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shine the light of Jesus. As we are drawn into the light of Jesus, we are called to shine the light of Jesus into the world, to reflect it. This has been God's plan from the beginning, from the very beginning, even going back to creation. 
When he created humanity, God's purpose for humanity was for them to reflect his image, to reflect his light out into the world. And so that glory and fullness would be experienced. But as we talked about, that was ruined. That went wrong because of rebellion against God. But even after what we would call the fall and the entrance of sin into the world, God's plan remains. Because throughout the the Old Testament, God's mission is to create a people, to form a people, to set them apart in the world. And guess what they're often referred to as? By God himself, a light to the nations. God sets a people apart so that they might show the world what it looks like to live under God and to be fully human in the way that God intended. That's his plan for us. And when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's picking up on that mission that was given to Israel in the Old Testament to be a light to the nations. Now, you heard in what Anna read in verses 1 through 6, you heard this list of of sins, we could say, um, focusing especially in on sexual immorality, but not only on sexual immorality, but foolish talk and crude joking. Now, when Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, he's connecting it back to verse 7, where he says, therefore, do not become partners with them. So Paul is not calling the Ephesians out of the world altogether. How can they be a light to the world if they're uh, out of the world altogether? But he says, do not be partners with them, meaning live a counter-cultural lifestyle. Live lives that are different, that look different with how you use your words and how you use your bodies. Now, um, a month ago when we started into Ephesians 5, we talked a little bit about the city of Ephesus itself and the gross sexual immorality that took place there. Um, You can go back and listen to that message. We don't have time to go into all those details again. But uh, uh, Ephesus was a place of gross sexual immorality, also a place of immense pride and arrogance. And it's really that pride and the arrogance is at the root, because when you're prideful and arrogant, you can treat people, you, you believe you have the right to treat people however you want, right? In terms of how you maybe use their bodies or even how you speak to them or speak of them. And Paul, specifically with how we use our words and how we use our bodies, is calling us to a different way of life in our culture. And we could, we could boil it down to this, that God's desire for us is to treat people as image bearers. You see, when we view people as image bearers, we don't believe that we can use their bodies however we want, and we don't believe that we can speak of them or to them however we want. And so Paul is rooting this in a countercultural lifestyle, all for the purpose of being a light to the world. Sometimes we think that the call of this particular lifestyle, this distinctive lifestyle, is just for the sake of it. And that's not it at all. God's, the reason that he calls us to this countercultural lifestyle is for the purpose of mission. But not only for the purpose of mission, but also for the purpose of highlighting life as God intended it to be. You see, when we manipulate people, when we misuse their bodies, or when we speak wrongly of them, what's happening? We are violating shalom. We're going against the grain of how God made things to be. We are keeping people and ourselves from true flourishing life, 
from the, the life that Jesus desires for us. And so Paul is rooting this all in something else. He says, do not become partners with them, which means to participate with someone or to have a joint share of. Now, what does it mean, with that as our context, when Paul says to expose the unfruitful works of darkness? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, he says, but instead expose them. The word that he uses, this word expose, means to reprove or to get convinced through argument and discussion while taking care specifically to not gospel, to gossip or slander others. It means to examine, to convict, to correct. It has to do with shining God's light in the darkness so that the light may be seen. How exactly, we've asked this question a few times already, how exactly do we go about this? Especially in light of verse 12. Paul says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. That gives you an idea of what was going on in the culture of Ephesus. But how do we expose the darkness if Paul seems to be saying you shouldn't even talk about these acts of darkness that are taking place? Well, verse 3 begins to provide the verse 13 begins to provide the answer for us. When anything is exposed by the light, what happens? It becomes visible, right? You suddenly see it. That, that part makes sense. But then he goes on and says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Anything that becomes visible is light. What does this mean? It's basically what happened in the lives of the Ephesian believers. God's light flooded into their very lives. It changed them. It transformed them as they came to know the grace of God in Jesus. And what happened? The light shined in the darkness, but also it became light itself. They Remember, they are light in the Lord. We were once darkness, but now we are light because of God's grace. When the light of God's grace or the gospel shines on us, we see our need of Jesus, we turn to him, and we become light at the core of who we are. And again, what's in view here is mission, because here's where Paul's going with this. If we shine God's light toward others in darkness, the dark deeds get illuminated, meaning they get exposed for what they really are. Now, let's, let's go back to what I was, I've said a couple times. In the face of darkness, what often happens? We cringe. We ache, we yearn for light, for something better, for something more beautiful, to be filled with a light that dispels all darkness. That's what you and I want deep down inside when we are faced with the darkness of life. And what Paul is basically saying here is that we have the opportunity as the church, as God's display people in the world, a light to the nations, to basically Create that longing in people. In other words, to expose the deeds of darkness around us, to expose them for what they really are, to show how they are not fulfilling, to show how they are not satisfying. And how do we do that? Not so much by focusing on the deeds of darkness, because Paul says it's shameful to even talk about those things, but rather by the light that emanates from our lives. 
that people would see that they would be drawn to it and want nothing to do with the darkness, that it would actually feed and provide a thirst for the, the ache and the yearning that they have for lightness. One commentator on this passage, I love what he says. He says, it's an act of evangelistic exposing rather than condemnation. An act of evangelistic exposing rather than condemnation. In other words, it's an act of making the gospel known, of both speaking it and embodying it rather than condemnation. We're good at the condemnation part as the church. Now, don't, get, don't hear what I'm not saying. Paul, very specifically in this chapter, points out the deeds of darkness and calls us out of them. So there's a place for um, talking honestly and open, openly about what constitutes as darkness from God's perspective, what constitutes as deeds of darkness. But the approach that Paul is giving us is not one of condemnation. The, and, and as I said, the church seems to excel in that. And here's what happens. Unfortunately, and maybe unintentionally, we drive people further and further into darkness. Because that's not the approach that God gives us in Scripture. The approach that God gives us is to be a light to the nations, to announce the gospel with our words, and to embody the gospel in our deeds. Again, I'm not saying there's no place for calling sin, sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about what we focus on in our approach to help people see the light of Jesus. And it becomes more clear how Paul ends this section. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, whenever in the New Testament you hear something along the lines of, therefore it says, it's usually a quote from the Old Testament. And that could be the case here, but I'll say this, there's no specific quote from the Old Testament by itself that says exactly what is said here. It could be a combination of references, um, maybe a combination of references, especially from the book of Isaiah that speaks about light. But some say that this also could be Paul quoting from an ancient hymn, quoting from a fragment of, uh, of early Christian worship that would have possibly been sung in the context of a baptism ceremony. And the hymn, as you see, is addressed to the sleeper who happens to be dead, to a person who is dead in their sin, as we all are or were apart outside of Jesus. But the hymn invites those who are coming forward for baptism to leave their sleep and to come to life. What happens when someone does that? The hymn responds, Christ will shine on you. When Christ shines on someone genuinely, authentically, that person becomes light. Awake, O sleeper, come to life. Return to the true life that God has for you. You see, this is the call that God has given us as his church, to expose the deeds of darkness by living lives of light. And as we do that, as we see that ache, that yearning in people for light to dispel darkness, we have the opportunity to announce the gospel, to say, come awake, you sleeper. Come out of death to life. 
What are some of the unfruitful works of darkness around us to expose? Well, it could be in your context, whatever it is, in your neighborhood, in your, your school, in your workplace, that um, it could be crude talking. It could be um, talking about people in a way that is constantly putting them down. What might it look like for you to expose the deeds of darkness? Maybe there's a place for you to say enough of that, but what would it look like for you to be a person of light who begins to uplift people in how you talk? What might it look like for you to be a person who uses your words for the benefit of people to God's glory? It might mean that we need to care more about housing in our city. There's a lot going on with housing in our city. And there's a lot of injustices happening around us. What might it look like for us as people of light to say, you know what, I'm going to try to get a better handle on what's going on out of a love for people and an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus into the unfruitful works of darkness. You know, we could keep going down the list. Let me highlight something that you all are fully aware of and many of you are probably scared of. We've entered into an election year. I mean, seriously, what will it look like for us to be people of light this year? Are we going to be a people who care about the full scope of the biblical story? Like in terms of just policy, are we going to be a people who care about life from the womb to the tomb and all that is in between? Or are we going to simply pick and choose? Are we going to be a people in how we talk to others in debate or discussion? Are we going to be a people who respect others with our words? Remember what Paul says about how we speak earlier in this chapter. And let me say, you're not going to learn this from our politicians. You're not going to learn this from our president. You're going to learn the opposite. But Paul is highlighting for us to reflect on and to meditate on what is good, right, and true. Right? Right? I mean, correct? I didn't mean uh, two rights there. He wants us to meditate and to reflect on what is good, right, and true. Why? Because who are we meant to imitate? Verse 1, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. What, who is God? And what is God like? And what does it look like for us to imitate him? In the everyday stuff of life, whether it's politics, whether it's school, whether it's the, the practicalities of the workplace, what does it look like for us to expose the deeds of darkness by shining the light of Jesus into those crevices of darkness? I want to close with a quote from Madeline Lengel, who you probably know of as the author of A Wrinkle in Time. She wrote this, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. May we walk in the light as a church in such a way that we show those around us the source of the light. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us a deep 
satisfaction, dissatisfaction with the darkness, and a superior satisfaction in the light. May we meditate and reflect on what is good, right, and true. May we love the things of shalom and desire our lives to to reflect them more. And may we put them into practice. And Lord, I pray for our city, for the world around us, that they might see you in us as we seek to imitate you. And I pray that they would be drawn to the source of the light. I pray that they would be drawn to you, Jesus. You are able to equip us and empower us for this mission in the world, even though we don't think that it's possible, even though we don't think that we can do it. Jesus, by your grace, you have made us light. So help us to walk in the light. We pray for your glory. Amen.